This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Pat Shake, Managing Director and Partner at Eggmobi, a digital creative agency specializing in the creation of ads that get user attention. Hey, Paps, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Glad to be on the show today, Andy. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, now, we're going to be talking about um, ads and, and design approaches to ads and things like that. But before we sort of dig into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, which is always the best way. Uh, but, you know, started off in media, traditional media, still love traditional media. Lots of good stuff has happened there for many, many decades. As soon as the internet revolution was starting in the late 90s, working for a big company, which was known as EMAP, but very keen for us to take some of our content online. And that's where the story started, really. I mean, I've been involved in numerous startups, call it my uh, my legal drug as such, but I'm just, uh, I'm obsessed and I'm addicted to startups and high yeah. growth businesses and businesses which I think, you know, we've heard the adage, which just disrupt, but ultimately really bring benefit to whether it's society, it's an ecosystem within any industry category. So I was involved in search way before Google arrived here in Europe in a company called eSpotting. Um, video very early on, a company called VideoJug, which was, you know, really trying to take knowledge and then put it into video form. So, you know, if you know how to make a good set of beans on toast, as funny as it sounds, who knows, maybe in 15 years time, someone somewhere will watch that two minute video and think, well, I hadn't thought of it in that manner. And more recently, spent a a significant amount of time with a West Coast company where our real mantra was just to improve advertising online. I mean, it was as simple yeah. as that. Um, and then, you know, another company now called Eggmobi, which is, and as you've introduced us, we're production and creative. And I'll touch a little bit more on the company right at the end. Hmm. But we want to build good ad experiences. That is the basis of what we want to do. And when I talked about traditional media, as I said, you know, a great TV ad still makes you feel something. A good print ad still kind of gets you to stop flicking through the pages. I think that's what we're trying to do in digital here. And uh, yeah, Mm. just I, I love digital, love media, and that's what kind of flicks my switch. And just to get an idea of the kind of ads that you do, uh, perhaps, is, is it sort of mainly sort of text or is it audio or is it video or is it a mixture of, is it banner ads? Is it, how does, what form does it take? All right, it's a good, really good question, Andy. If our ads capture someone's attention and we get them to spend time with the ad, then we know we're winning. Now, when the, you know, and I'm going to touch on literally the formats in a bit when we go through design and what we call engagement design. But yeah, yeah it, it's a mixture of, what could be classed as banner ads as such, but they're really getting people's attention. And then we like to go into full screen ads where, you know, we do a lot of work on mobile, probably our strongest platform. And it's, there's a limited number of pixels. So you've, you've got to deliver a big punch and you've got to use everything that's available to you. So I'll touch a bit more on that in a minute, Andy. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I want to go straight into a, a, a fairly sort of slightly controversial and and very sort of topical theme because we, I want to talk about ad blocking because I know it's quite a big issue. And, and the thing that, that's of strengthened my want to talk about it was there was uh, i noticed the news article i think it was just yesterday that uh, three is uh, about to trial a, an ad blocking sort of mechanism which they're doing at quite a low level i mean be- before we go into that because i know that you've, you've, pro- you've probably got an opinion on it but why has ad blocking generally become such a big issue okay 
And do you know what? I'm going to back up one little thing, right? Me personally, and a lot of people I work with, you know, we love ads. Mm. And that's why we get up and we go to work every day. It's a shame that not everyone else shares that feeling, right? And there's a simple reason for this. The trust between users and companies like ourselves and everyone else, and I feel complicit, has been eroded ever since the internet arrived. Mm. In the rush to monetize sites and web, the industry just kind of forgot about the basics of a good ad. Now, my wife considers me to be one level below an estate agent because of all (laughs) the annoying ads she sees online. By the way, we have friends who are estate agents. There's nothing wrong with estate agency. <laughs> but that feeling is shared by so many people. And that's ultimately led to ad blocking. Now, ad blocking has been around for a while, yeah? Ten years ago, in the late noughties, there were desktop users. Now, typically, these were more advanced kind of technology geeks in inverted commas. They knew how to ad block. They've been doing it for a very, very long time. But, you know, media has been supported by ads for a very long time as well. I mean, consumers have been ignoring ads in other media. I mean, for instance, you know, if you take a TV, Mm. you can switch a channel or you can fast forward if it's recorded. On radio, you can just switch, kind of switch off because it's only coming into one of our senses. And with Mm. print, you can flick through. Now, one of the key differences is with digital, we know exactly when a user has an ad-blocking software installed. And that's why we're having to sit up and take action. It's obviously hurting revenues for publishers who are providing free-based content as well. So, you know, a bunch of that kind of stuff and software being more available more readily and just being in the news as well in the last couple of years has just led to increase of usage. I mean, I've got some stats here. One I'm going to pull up here. Um, you know, I'm looking at some stats from last year, actually. So apologies, not completely up to date, but they bring bring forward the points. Um, yeah. The gro- global increase was 41% year on year from 2014 to 2015. As of June 2015, there were 198 million active users. So there's a sharp increase. Now, bringing it home, I'm just going to use a EU and UK. If you look at the UK again last year, 22% of adults were now blocking. Now, the most interesting stat last year was that 47% of people between the age of 18 to 24 are ad blocking. Now, I know these figures have slightly changed because obviously iOS brought out um, ad blocking at the end of the year. So you've got a generation there who, whether they, how, how can I put it, whether they understand or don't appreciate the value exchange between free content and taking good advertising. Now, they well may turn around and say, actually, yeah, you're delivering a shit, pardon my French, everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's a fair point for them to say, right? So all of that said, a couple of companies have probably, let me put it in a kind way, have been opportunistic in the last couple of years and thought, why don't we create some better ad blocking software Make some noise, get consumers to hear about it. Now, you know, there's a very famous one out of Germany, which Google works with allegedly and a bunch of other large companies, but essentially they pay them a fee Mm. to be able to allow to show their ads. But, you know, who are they ultimately to make the decisions on what is a good and bad ad? Because we we know it's so subjective at the moment. So fast forward and back to your question, a company like Three who can control the network as such because we you know if you're on if you're part of their network and you're looking to use their data and to get onto the internet or whatever it may be they can control what's coming through the pipes there mm-hmm. now if i was being cynical i'd be saying to myself if they can control the access to the content 
and decide which ads go through, there's a money-making opportunity for them on top of data being sold. Because, you know, there's big questions about really how do the mobile operators make cash in 10, 20, 30 years' time. It's probably not from telephone calls. We understand that because so much of this is available free of charge now. Mm -hmm. So I think they're exploring ways to make money. But by becoming the gatekeepers, there's a lot of inherent risks. I mean, if you've been to any of the big exhibitions this year, last year, across Europe, to the West Coast, wherever it may be, some of the ad blockers are taking a significant amount of flack because, you know, and I think quite rightly so, there's a bunch of people and quite a lot of people out there who feel like they're the modern digital mafiosa. Because ultimately, they're saying, you've got to pay us some money, and then we'll then decide if those ads are good or not, and whether we show them on whichever publishers, if we you know, kind of open the gates on Publisher X and let the viewers see the ad. Yeah, it's, this whole area, it's sort of like creeping into the net neutrality sort of area, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such a big. Do you know what ad blocking in its own right? You know, I kind of feel like you can compartmentalize it, but it raises issues. As per your point here about who controls it, mm. and and I think quite rightly so that people are getting a little bit angry, are getting a little bit vexed. And when I've seen, you know, for instance, I'm just going to use this uh, the German company AdBlock Plus because you know they're one of the biggest players out there. By putting themselves in this position, you know, it's open for debate people just feel like they are not the gatekeepers. Ultimately, no one really is the gatekeeper for the net. Mm. And, the, and the big issue here is that we, you know, maybe people of a certain generation, you know, people of my generation, you know, you know, I know if I want content free of charge, I have to trade it with watching ads, right? And I'm also involved in this industry as well. So again, as a bias, but when I talk to my friends and they get it, they kind of get it. They just say, you know, we want the free content. Now, there is an alternative, isn't there? I mean, you, you pay for the content and a bunch of publishers are, you know, in the moment they sense that you've got an ad blocker on, they're kind of shutting down the walls and saying, why don't you contribute a small amount of money so we can keep going or switch the ad blocker off and you'll have to view ads, but you'll get the content free of charge. Now, mm. a, a huge number of publishers have uh, have done that with a great deal of success. So I think this is just starting to unravel now. I think it's an absolute positive thing. I'm really, really pleased. It's taking place. It's a little bumpy. It's kind of tough for the publishers and for companies like us as well. But when we come out the other side, I think there'll be a better understanding from both both sides you know i'm talking about brands ad companies like us and consumers and ultimately publishers will be just better connected with what users want but it raises a lot of questions so i mean going moving on from this ad blocking issue in the context of it is is there a design approach to sort of help overcome this challenge yeah yeah i mean look i don't think there's there is one which i could put on the back of a piece of paper and kind of send out to everyone as we know that it's subjective we've been involved in did creating digital ads for uh, you know i've been across a number of companies successful companies working with global brands and we just have um and you know what we kind of take it back to basics and before i do that one of the first things and most interesting things i learned this is in 99. MIT did a basic study then about attention span online. We know our attention span is decreasing due to the way we interact with screens digitally and how we take content in. You know, mm. it's all snackable content now, right? So our attention span is less than a goldfish. It's actually official. And, uh, you know, our attention span online is eight seconds. I do this little test when I go and present somewhere. So, you know, I have my PowerPoint keynote presentation. I hit the button. 
and then you get this kind of it goes you know it just works down eight seven six and it goes down to zero that's how long you have a user before they move their focus from one thing to another yeah. on a screen and it can be even shorter on a mobile as well so the first thing you really need to do is just get their attention and i'm going to come back to that but the other thing I'm going to start talking about is just the basic design principles. And I think these design principles apply to whatever ads you're creating and wherever they may be. So number one, the design principle is you just need to keep it simple. So why does simplicity work? I think, you know, the underlying force behind why simplicity works, well, there is this kind of cognitive concept called proficiency fluency. I'm not going to go into it now, but you can look it up. Yeah. I mean, simply, it means how easy is it for someone to grasp information pretty readily and quickly you know when i'm presenting i I kind of show two examples one a really busy cluttered ad which you look at and you go oh my god what am i doing here where how do i start to make sense and then you show another exact another ad and a good ad will typically have a single distinguishable call to action right because that's really important yeah A, a single headline you know, that's you know, that's getting their attention. The company's brand name has to be in there as well because you want context as to who is producing, creating the service or the product. Yeah. And a single focal point or an eye-catching object. So, you know, again, if it's a razor blade, get a good shot of the razor blade. Um, while it sounds easy, you know, it's quite difficult to do. When I sit and talk to brands or companies, you know, many businesses just try to include too many things into an ad, too many words, too many images, just too much stuff. And too much of everything leads to an ad that's ineffective. So pick one thing that the ad should do. Is it to create brand building? Do you want to sell a product, showcase an event or highlight something your company is doing? Create a single and simple message to highlight. So that's really number one where you're trying to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, number two is, and the number of times I see this done wrong or just not executed well, and it's it's just a clear call to action. Limited attention span. People are moving from one thing to another. You just got to get their attention. There was a, um, who was it? a SIM card company. I can't remember the card name of the company, but the headline was for £12 a month you get benefits of the service listed clearly, clearly. You know, whether it's 300 minutes, you can get unlimited text, unlimited internet, and then you've got a clear call to action at the bottom. Mm. That, to me, is a great ad for that type of service where they're really looking for a user to respond pretty quickly. And if they get the right user, the chances are they will. So, you know, it's kind of like, what do you want a user to do once they receive the message? You should really be picking one thing because that's all you have time for in the digital environment. The likely choice is to click, you know, once they've kind of clicked on the ad space and go to your website, but you must tell, you know, if that's what you're looking to do, but you must tell users to do it. You know, it sounds overly simple, but people like instructions. Yes, it makes, they like to be told what to do, don't they? Yeah, it yeah. makes choices easier. We're just bombarded with choices everywhere. But, you know, and think about the words you use. Rather than using the words click here, consider something that tells a user more about the choice he or she is making. Order a free SIM is much better and more specific and easy for users. So less information in the ad. Use a single object, image, call to action, and concentration point, i.e. headline copy, to drive the message home. So that was really about clear call to action. Another really important one, something called the 20% rule. Mm. So text should not take up more than 20% of ad space. Now, you know, if you're, an econ- if you're the economist and you've got a full-page spread on a, in a print magazine, I think it's slightly different, but with digital, 
it's different because of the attention span you got. Facebook advertising has always had this rule that frustrates many ad designers. No more than 20% of the space should include text. I think it's actually a great design concept and constraint. You know, the web is a visual medium. Ads are visual tools. Use visuals to the fullest to get the most from your space. And, you know, really limit text to a small portion of the overall space. I mean, this would also help you accomplish... You know, one of the other principles, which is pick a single message because the mm. eye will go to that and will be stimulated by the visuals. Rule number four, colour. You know, when I read about this, you know, they say that contrasting colours work better and research shows people remember words and images better if the kind of the colour palette works well together. It was an ad which I was looking at the other day and it was um, using yellow and black, which interestingly are the, uh, implemented in the design of safety signs because... And yeah, yeah, exactly. And I wonder that's what probably comes from there, right? Because negatively, yellow represents alertness, yeah. awareness, and black represents caution, evil, and death, and all that kind of stuff. So contrasting colors can really bring an ad to life. And in this instance, they were targeting a youth demographic as well. So that combination of colors was very, very good. And also, because the overall ad was made of yellow, and the company's logo is in yellow. So choosing it as a dominant color makes the ad, you know, it also kind of improves co- the color increases brand recognition. And I say, you know, again, some stats tell you by up to 80%. So, you know, getting the right colors, which man match the brand and the good contrast yes. helps in maintaining uniform brand identity through multiple touch points, i.e. digital ads and landing pages. Also, it means that a kind of a consistent design strategy like this spreads across the brand's communication channels, evokes trust in consumers, and makes it likelier that people will click through as a result of the mere exposure effect of using colors correctly. So that was number four. Number five, do unified design. And, you know, this is what I kind of say call what i call connecting elements you know just as a website should have unity between the individual page pages that it's made up of an ad should be visually relevant to the site it takes you to so clicking through to reveal a website that has little or no visual relationship with the original ad seriously degrades the user's experience and what will likely throw most users off the process mm-hmm. so your ad should use similar ideally identical colors images and typography so the user's partially accustomed to your site before they're before they've even visited i mean you wouldn't expect a coca-cola ad to be made up in pepsi blue so mimicking key design decisions in your ad is important to keep users on track not allowing them to drop off when they wonder you know wonder when they wonder where they've ended up so i think it's really important and a lot of companies do this well you just you know whether you're on a banner whether you've gone into a full page experience you click get into the site, and it's seamless. You just kind of feel like you've gone from one step to another. Last but not least um, is motion and animation. So utilizing animation and motion with your ad can greatly increase your chances of user engagement. I think that's very simple, right? Yeah. But, but too much can easily end up annoying users instead as well. So I think implementing subtle transitions and motion effect is generally a great way of grabbing attention and increasing interaction though i think you know you should limit the length to a non-looped 15 to 30 seconds on the whole while subtle transition style animations don't degrade the user experience too much when running automatically on page loads more intense animation that needs the user to actually focus should be limited to when explicitly enabled by a user um you know video ads have just seen a huge uptake in the last 10 years now you know not everyone has 
video assets to work with but getting you know it's really getting to all the senses making your ads evocative just as tv you know the best tv ads have been for again you know the last 40 or 50 years um trying to bring some of that into digital is really important so I don't know if you want to discuss any of that. You know, that's the kind of basic design principles. But to be honest, I think, you know, they can be applied to any kind of advertising. As I said from the beginning, I just felt like in our rush to monetize the web, we were just ramming and shoehorning existing assets into a limited number of pixels on a site. You know, the one thing I always talk about, how often do you see when you're watching TV an ad in the corner of the screen? It never happens. A brand would never allow that to happen. Mm. Um, so why are we so challenged in delivering ads into small areas of real estate? Now, you know, we could go into a long, lengthy conversation about that, but there's ways of kind of circumnavigating that. Any questions on that, Andy? I've got to ask. Well, yes. I've just written them all down, actually. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I do have a question, actually. What, what are your opinions on pop-ups? Here's an interesting thing. Okay, great. I'm glad you asked that question. Mm. Because back in the day, I'm going to let's just rewind to 2005. Video was really on the uptake. I was kind of, you know, I remember walking around the media agencies in London, some in Europe. There was no video assets from brands to display um, on two ads. Now, the only way, uh, one company I remember that was finding a way to deliver video ads was, you know, there were interstitials and pop ups. People hate pop-ups. There's no getting away around it. People don't like disruption mm. to their flow. And that's what Yeah, yeah, mm. you know, it's just they want to be in control. Now, if they do want to view an ad, they want to be in control. So, it's just a great segue into the ads we create. You know, uh, a previous company out of the West Coast I mentioned earlier, we figured that again, there was a whole bunch of people from traditional media and creative agencies, you know, again it was the same kind of, you know, ethos, make advertising good, make it work. We thought, let's take our ads to full screens, whether you be on a mobile, whether, you know, tablets weren't really around then, but whether you be in a desktop. So we decided to do one thing. We thought we have to deliver, we have to get their attention somehow. So we're going to have to deliver these ads into standard banners as such as we call them, wherever they mm, are. Yeah. So let's make the banners really eye-catching. Think about, you know, back to the design principles, strong visually, not too many words, capture someone's attention, then give them the option to go into an ad experience. So we really developed this three, two, one countdown system. So the moment you'd hovered over the ad because it caught your attention, we were telling the user, if you wanted to go into the next stage of this experience, either click or wait for the three, two, one countdown to go to zero, then we took over the full page. So I know you asked about pop-ups, but what we did is we thought laterally, because in most instances, you know, pop-ups were taking too much of a screen up, and also the user had, they just, they, you know, they hadn't made that single choice that they wanted to go into the mm. experience. Mm. We then built a very successful global business, and, you know, I can't tell you how many numerous businesses out there, including the likes of Google, Apple, etc., all took on this ad format um which is, works very successfully we still utilize it now and you know that's kind of when we talk about engagement design there are these kind of stages to engagement design one is capture someone's attention let them decide to go into the ex ad experience secondly when it opens up you know we feel at that stage you've got a full screen it's almost like a tv ad but guess what a million times better because you could put hotspots on there you can pick up their ip if you're a auto you know if you're bmw you pick up 
uh, where they are and tell them where their local garage is. You know, the list goes on and how functional and how beautiful these ads can be. Mm. A stat on this, you know, we see every time a user comes into one of our ad experiences, they spend 16 to 18 seconds in an ad experience. You know you have got the user's attention this is ultimately what most brands want. They want people's attention. They want to know that they are interacting with their message. Now, back to the start I mentioned earlier, if, if our attention span is eight seconds online, we're doubling that through this method of advertising. Now, we care about our ads, yeah? We, you know, we think ads at that point should be a ut- utility. They should be beneficial. You know, if I had a line between, you know, imagine I've got my fingers up here and there's a kind of a continuum in a line. At one end, the ads should be useful. Mm. If I was doing an ad for Microsoft Surface Pro, for instance, you know, that ad should show a prospective customer how that how that piece of hardware can fit into their life, how they're going to use it every day. At the other end of the spectrum, we make our ads entertaining. So, you know, it could be a new Disney or a Pixar film coming out and there's a, you know, teenager watching it and it makes them giggle and laugh and they think, wow, I'm actually going to share that with some of my friends. So... It's because it's digital and we can pack so much in and we get feedback because we know what people are interacting within our ad units. And we have to work a lot harder. Mm. And so kind of, you know, going all the way back to where this conversation started, it's a great thing, ad blocking. I think this is a, you know another point of inflection for digital advertising and probably advertising as a whole, because, you know, from time to time, we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and think, you know, what are we actually doing? Can we improve and What's the journey? Uh, so, you know, even though there are still some of these pop-ups around, I think for the most part, there is a very small number of companies who still want to disrupt users' experience online. But, you know, I think yeah. hopefully at some point they'll go by the wayside. Thanks for the information. About this. It's fascinating. So based on all this, the old notion of engagement design is very interesting. What's uh, in the face of this? What does a modern digital creative agency look like these days? Okay, so this is a, this is a really good question. Uh, you know, I don't come from one of the big creative agencies and, you know, the big networks as such because I've come from a digital angle where typically, you know, we've worked with businesses that are nimble. By that, I mean you, you have to keep an open mind to how you work, what are your processes, because ultimately you want to meet the needs of the project work. So creative and production companies now just, I think they can't, you know, companies like us, we can't rest on our laurels. We, we constantly challenge ourselves to see how are we, what's that interface between us and all our partners out there, all the companies we work for, and can we improve? So I think you're constantly thinking about how you're evolving. That's really important. Mm. Imagine... A Venn diagram, there's three circles. One circle's got creative written in it, one circle's got technology written in it, and one's got media. Now, right where all of those three circles meet is where we live. Because we feel for digital advertising, you know, you've got to have great creative. Back to, you know, what I've been discussing. Same old good creative skills, basic design principles that we've used for decades. You've got to have technologists. Now, these can just be individuals who have a very deep understanding of technology and actually can also pull their head above the parapet and, th- parapet and think and look 
at the horizon to see where we should be heading, what are the challenges, how do we fix them. And within that set of technologies, we have developers. We have people who code. These are engineers who may never have wanted to come into advertising, but nonetheless have, you know, something has sparked within their imagination. Maybe they're frustrated artists somewhere Mm, as well. So they work really well with the creatives. And then we have media specialists because all of the ads we create are ultimately deployed amongst media and we need to understand how people interact what are the best placements etc etc so i'm not just kind of selling our company here because that's where we live but i truly believe digital creative companies have to have a mix of all these disciplines and they must work together seamlessly and the other thing about digital is long timelines are very dull for clients and for media agencies and for everyone else now look you know if you're running a huge campaign it's going to take thing it's going to take time to create but we pride ourselves that we can get things up and running and moving very quickly you know one of the key things i think all de- all design agencies should be doing if you've got global partners is you know you've got to work across time zones you know if a project comes into london you work on it that day you know you flick it to the next time zone by tomorrow you should have things that are ready or you should have moved to the next stage um and i think you know all, all modern companies should be doing that now as well um The other thing is partnering. I think it's the only way to have a meaningful relationship with whether it's a customer or another partner that kind of sits side by side. Yeah. You know, it usually means that, you know, you're investing more, you get to understand each other a lot more, but the output and the quality of work is just way different, is way different. So there's a bunch of things I'm talking about here. And, you know, inevitably, it's going to be skewed on my background where high growth businesses where you're typically evangelizing out in market, you're looking for quick adoption, you're turning things around quickly, mean that you just work at a much faster pace. Uh, And because this is online and more and more brands are making decisions in real time and wanting to execute on those, you know, when you take social media, for instance, you know, uh, big brands have teams who are sat there making decisions, but as and when they're going to need to bring creative teams involved or, you know, help them to change a creative on the fly. And I'm not just talking about kind of dynamic targeting, which is done, you know, via computer-based algorithms. I'm talking about stuff which involves real humans. A real human has to look at a piece of copy or has to look at a piece of design and say, actually, we're going to change that because something has happened in the world which affects this brand or a message. They kind of, is a really strong message of theirs. Um, Companies need to be able to turn around really quickly. Mm. And I think, you know, they, they need to have all these facets. And inevitably, it's probably just smaller, leaner, hungrier agile smart companies yeah agile yes taking a software development approach yeah absolutely yeah yeah. hope that gives you an idea of uh, not just our approach but i think a lot of businesses that are doing well out there using this approach it's been fantastic perhaps thank you so much i'm sure our listeners have been taking a lot of notes so thanks so much for coming on tell us how our listeners can find out more about you and more about egg moby Okay, so more about myself. You can just find me on LinkedIn at Paps Shake, which is P-A-P-S, and the surname is spelled S-H-A-I-K-H. Our website, the company I work for at the moment, is eggmobi.com, E-G-G-M-O-B-I.com, and you'll see more and more of our thoughts and opinions about to be placed on there. We've just come up with a new lovely design, so uh, look out for it there. I think that's where you'll find me. 
Thanks, Paps. And thanks for everyone for listening. Show notes, usual place, sitevisibility.com slash podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitchers. If you fancy doing a review, that would be fantastic. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, I'm Dr. Pod, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, we're looking to answer some questions in the coming sort of future episodes. So two ways to get questions and comments to us. The email is podcast at sitevisibility.com and we have a magic phone line plus four four one two seven three two five six one five oh if you want to leave a comment or a question in audio form of course perhaps thanks so much for coming on that's all from me andy it's all from paps thank you very much and goodbye and we'll see you next time on internet marketing What's new in podcasting? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being completely straight mm-hmm. and 10 being completely gay, what number are you? Um, you know, I don't think that you should rank how gay they are. I guess, I, you know, that's just a little of a red, just a flag for me. Come on, come out. A weekly podcast where real lesbians tell their real coming out stories. You can find Come On, Come Out on your favorite podcatcher out now. Go listen. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.